Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. We're your host, Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're here with another episode. The case that we're covering today is about a young seven-year-old girl named Olivia Gant, whose young life was taken way too soon. With that being said, please take this as a warning because the details in this case are disturbing and may make some listeners very uncomfortable. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's jump into this week's show. The case that we're covering this week involves the medical abuse and death of a child. So we want to give you that extra content warning. For this week's case, I want you to think about your social media feed. Have you ever come across a post from a friend or maybe a friend of a friend with an accompanying plea for help with a heartbreaking story and an attached GoFundMe? Do you click the donate button? Do you silently give thanks for the good health of those you love and make a small donation? Often, just the act of giving can make us feel better. These types of stories appeal to all of us as we all have loved ones. Now, do you also follow the blog or the Facebook page dedicated to that person's journey back to health? Do you look forward to every entry and hang on to any sliver of hope? In August of 2011, Kelly Turney Gant was the mother of three daughters, 12-year-old Hannah, three-year-old Sammy, and 11-month-old Olivia. Life had given her many roadblocks, but her faith, church friends, and family were helping her through what was arguably an unfair hand which life had dealt to her. You see, three-year-old Sammy was battling cancer for almost two years, and her 13-month-old was ill as well. According to her first blog post on August 2, 2011, entitled Pray for the Gant Girls, Kelly asked for prayers for her youngest child. The post was entitled Pray for Libby, and it read, Olivia is a fun-loving 13-month-old cutie. She was born a preemie and seemed to be doing great, just growing a little slow. At her nine-month checkup, the doctor noticed her head was beginning to take on a different shape. I was told they would watch it and make necessary referrals if needed at the next visit. At her 12-month checkup, her head was even more misshapen, so we were referred to the neurologist at Texas Children's. They ran some tests and came to discover that her skull is fusing together in the front, so we are waiting for her helmet to come in within the next week or so, and we are praying that the helmet does a wonderful job for allowing the skull to move back to where God intended it to be, and that this problem corrects itself. In the process of all of the testing, there was a vascular malformation of the main artery in the brain noticed. We are currently waiting on a word back from the neurosurgeon as to what treatment can be done. But in the diagnosis, she can begin to have seizures. If the malformation continues to grow, it can push on the optic nerve and she can go blind or it can even cause an aneurysm. Very scary. This has been the hardest for me to hear. I ultimately know that God is in control and I have faith that she will be okay. But I have a hard time wondering if I can accept what kind of okay will I have to settle for. As a parent, that sounds scary, right? Well, it would be 
if any of it were true. The truth is, Kelly relished the attention she received from having a sick child. She loved the attention she got when her daughter Sammy was getting chronic ear infections and had to have surgery for the placement of draining tubes. Next, Kelly alleged that Sammy had an immune disorder and an infection in her skull. Little Sammy started to need regular infusions. Not only did this get her more attention, it got her more donations and prayer warriors at her church taking shifts for round-the-clock prayers. Kelly was elated to be the center of attention. Unfortunately, her craving for attention still wasn't satisfied. She also needed prayer, pity, and payments. Next, Sammy developed tumors in her neck and needed surgery to have them removed. But what's better than tumors in your neck? I know, the liver. So that's the next place tumors showed up. Obviously for Kelly, cancer was the next obvious choice. Kelly took to her blog and told her faithful followers that poor little Sammy had to wear a mask because she was so susceptible to viruses and her little body couldn't take another infection due to her cancer diagnosis. She asked her followers to quote, please pray that God heals her little body so we can continue on with treatment or whatever the doctors deem to be fitting at this time. All she ever asks for is a trip to Chuck E. Cheese, and boy, do I want to take her, end quote. According to Kelly, Sammy had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a very treatable cancer, but also requiring a full-time caregiver. Kelly couldn't work, so many members of her church, despite being on a fixed income, were giving Kelly money every single week to help with the cost of caring for her ailing children. I mean, what's better than one chronically ill child? Obviously, the answer is two chronically ill children. One blog post later, and Kelly was a saint dealing with the dire circumstances of two sick children. Now, Kelly would definitely take money, but she wouldn't take any physical help. She didn't want to respite care, and she didn't want anyone else looking after her children. She kept her children in the house, locked away from prying eyes under the guise of protecting them. To explain this behavior away, she took to her blog post again, telling everyone what a burden it was on her eldest daughter, Hannah, to give up all of her free time to help care for her younger sisters. She told them it was a sacrifice she hoped Hannah didn't resent as she grew up. As a result, she couldn't allow anyone to come over to the house and get Hannah's medically frail sisters sick. It was all Hannah's fault. Kelly was just starting to figure out how powerful it was to have chronically ill children, and she was definitely learning quickly how to work it. In one blog post, she decided Olivia needed an expensive seizure detection dog. Olivia wasn't having any seizures yet, but Kelly knew it was a matter of time before malformation in her brain would result in seizures. This was a preemptive need for Olivia. And as we go on with this case, you'll come to find out that when Kelly predicts something, it often happens. In her blog, Kelly asks her fellow congregants to, quote, Please be in prayer for this need and get the word out. We never know who God has prepared in advance to fulfill this need in the life of a sweet, precious girl. And so the community made it happen. An expensive therapy dog trained in seizure detection was purchased and trained for little Livy. 
And just in time, too, because very soon thereafter, Olivia began having seizures. Unfortunately, she never had any seizures in front of anyone except for Kelly. Sometimes Kelly would write in third person because why not? Who doesn't love a third person blog? Other times, she would pretend that they were written by her friend Michelle, who would later admit that she wasn't writing the detailed blogs about Olivia's medical conditions. The next entry was about the long-anticipated seizures. It said, quote, Livy was drinking her bottle and watching TV, and all of a sudden, they heard a thud. They ran in to find Livy laying against the crib. One eye was open and one was closed. The open eye was twitching. Again, she did not respond to her mommy or daddy trying to wake her. Then, all of a sudden, she snapped out of it, but then just turned over and went back to sleep. They called Dr. LeBron again and were told to bring her in. Kelly rushed her to the ER and waited and waited. She finally consulted with neurology and they confirmed it was seizures as she had suspected. As of right now, there appears to be no damage, but doctors say it can take up to 72 hours after an episode for the damage to be seen. Therefore, Livy will have a follow-up CAT scan and EEG next week. Also, the malformation in her artery appears to have gotten bigger since her last CT scan. Doctors are saying it could be the cause of her seizure. At this point, they are at a loss. She is really too small to treat with seizure medications, so doctors are weighing the risks. End quote. And just to remind you, this was a blog post written by Kelly, who wrote it in third person. Now, this was the first time we are hearing about Olivia's dad. We will have more on him later, but now back to the seizures. Eventually, Kelly got her way and the doctors agreed to prescribe anti-seizure medication. It should be noted that anti-seizure medication can cause many other symptoms. It can also cause permanent and irreversible damage to Olivia's organs. Kelly was always pushing for another surgery, another medicine, another diagnosis. However, the Texas doctors weren't as susceptible to Kelly's manipulation as other doctors would be in the future. In one of her last blog posts from Kelly, she said that Olivia's neurologist would not approve a surgery for her as he deemed it too risky. Instead, Kelly said since the malformation in her brain was of unknown origin, she was requesting a referral to an oncologist for radiation treatment. Now, Kelly's going to have to up her game because even I know an oncologist isn't going to just give a child without cancer radiation treatment, especially not for a non-existence membrane in her brain. So Kelly took to her blog again and asked for prayer and asked for more guidance and proactive doctors to make decisions for Olivia's care. By proactive, she means doctors who are willing to do more and more invasive procedures. Kelly wasn't afraid of surgical options. In fact, they were her preference. As we continue this episode, you'll find out that Kelly loved to predict future problems, and they often came true. In one blog post, Kelly said Olivia's neurosurgeon told her that the seizures were causing permanent brain damage. Despite Olivia's happy, bubbly demeanor, she would likely go blind or develop an aneurysm. She continued to make outlandish claims that Olivia was being referred to an oncologist to help shrink the swelling caused by the seizures. Thanks to WebMD, Kelly would learn faster and get better at her lies. Now, people at her church began questioning her on some of the things that she was saying about Olivia's treatment as they didn't make sense. 
When they asked about Sammy's cancer, she had to make things up quickly because she was fully immersive in her new sick child. Her husband, the girl's father, was also asking questions. In one of the blog posts, she talks about how he was with her when Olivia had her very first seizure. Years later, we would discover that wasn't true. He never observed any of the things Kelly insisted were happening with their children. One of Kelly's biggest obstacles to bigger donations was the fact that she had a supportive husband with medical insurance. Regardless, she had a fund set up at the bank in Texas in the name of the Gantt Girls so her fellow prisoners could donate directly for all the medical costs above what insurance wasn't allegedly not covering. For a long time, Kelly's blog only discussed Olivia. Occasionally, Kelly would remember she had another daughter with cancer, and after taking an entire summer off treatment, it was time to start that back up again. Of course, she needed prayers, and more importantly, she needed donations. She discussed how the girls could only see their Mima and Papa, who were Kelly's in-laws. They both loved their grandchildren and thought Kelly was a saint for all that she had to deal with. They helped as much as Kelly would allow. There were always continuous demands for prayers for Jeff and Kelly and the Gantt girls, but there was also intense requests for money. Two girls with imaginary illnesses were getting expensive. Kelly dedicated an entire blog post to the new donation button on the blog. And for those who were old-fashioned, a dedicated bank account for donations. The pressing need for Kelly was always prayers first, then sympathy, and finally donations. One thing that was also clear from Kelly's blog was her doctor shopping. There was always new doctors, new specialists, new testing, and new findings. Apparently, one of her new doctors discovered that Olivia had developed an inoperable brain tumor, one her previous doctors should have caught. Now, Kelly could finally explain why Olivia wasn't getting radiation from an oncologist. As doubts and questions came in from family and friends, the next diagnosis would address it. Kelly was always covering her tracks and explaining away the increasing doubts. Later that year, Kelly writes, quote, Well, as you know, with the tumor that has now been discovered in Olivia's brain, she has started a 12-week round of radiation treatments along with steroids. This treatment is in the hopes that the tumor will shrink or at least not grow anymore and hoping that this will reduce some of the swelling in the brain. CT scans are being run throughout these treatments in order to follow the growth of not only the tumor, but the malformation in the artery of her brain. Olivia has seemed to do well with her first round of steroids and radiation, but there has been some changes due to the swelling in her brain as well as due to the seizures she is having. Olivia is still a very happy little girl, but she is beginning to show signs of regression. Her balance is becoming more unstable than before. Where she used to say several words, she now just mostly babbles. She has drooping on the right side of her face, and her eating has become less than what it used to be. And Kelly continues to write, The doctors told Kelly that because of the tumor being within a millimeter of the parotid gland, these things were sure to happen as well as some other problems, but it was not certain when these things would become a reality. The neurologist has ordered more physical, occupational, and speech therapy in order to keep her going physically and keep her in constant learning. As you can imagine, this has been extremely hard, not only for Kelly and Jeff, but for the girls. Kelly has to bear the whole responsibility of caring for Olivia. She goes back and forth from recognizing people to not remembering who someone is. 
This is heartbreaking for everyone. Also, not knowing truly how many seizures a day she is having is hard because there is damage being done from them and Kelly feels helpless that she doesn't know each and every one where she can alert Olivia to come to. End quote. To pretend anyone other than Kelly was writing these blog posts is absurd. However, like an author, Kelly was a big fan of foreshadowing. She loved to hint about things to come. With her last post, she discussed Olivia regressing, eating less, and losing speech. Of course, just a few months later, Olivia would not only have seizures, a brain tumor, a malformed brain and fluid on her brain, now she was also allegedly autistic. It was clear to Kelly, with a husband and in-laws and a church filled with people who were providing round-the-clock prayer service, she needed a little distance and a lot more control over the girls to continue her attention-seeking sainthood status. She told her husband, her family, and her church that a miracle had happened. She found Children's Hospital in Colorado willing to treat the girls with innovative clinical trials. First, it was going to be just for Olivia, but then they agreed to treat Sammy too. The only stumbling block would be flights and relocation costs. The church and the community rallied together and through a series of bake sales and fundraisers, they raised enough money to send Kelly, the dog, and the girls to Colorado. Kelly blogged in early 2012 how thankful she was for all the charity she had received. From a blog post dated February 4, 2012, Kelly says, quote, Wow, I mean, literally, wow. That's all I know to say at the moment. You know, even as a Christian, sometimes I've wondered in my life as a young child, as an adult, and even now as a mom to two sick children, is there really a God around? Like, where is he when the bleep hits the fan? Or where was he when they told me my child has a disease that could be treated or could kill her? I am going to have to live with a child who can't handle the little things in life. Don't I have enough? I would wonder sometimes, is this my payback for my past? Am I now reaping what I sowed? Well, I have figured out who am I to question anything that happens in my life. And I have taken this journey with Sam and Livy. I have found out that God is everywhere. Hello, wake up, Kelly. God's the only one that brought you to the doctors you needed. God's the only one that gave you a prayer warrior church family. God's the one. God's the one. Through all of this, every fundraiser, every benefit, it has all started from a seed. One person planting a desire to help us out, and through the power of prayer, the current cause would snowball." End quote. Speaking of the past, Kelly had several criminal convictions before having children, some for theft and one for impersonating medical personnel, which was the ultimate foreshadowing of what was to come. While Olivia seemed to be Kelly's main focus, she would also occasionally give updates on Sammy's cancer, which now had allegedly spread to her pelvic area. There were several tumors, all contained and just in time for that trip to Colorado. As far as everyone knew, in Colorado, Kelly was a single mom with two ill children and no support. In truth, the girls were fully insured through Jeff Gant's work. Jeff was now living with his parents so he could afford to give Kelly $900 a week to pay for their care and living expenses in Colorado. Jeff had no idea that when his family left for treatment, that they were never coming back to Texas. Once Kelly had the girls all alone, their conditions worsened. Olivia began losing weight, which can happen when you stop feeding a child. 
Somehow, she was able to convince the doctors in Colorado that Olivia needed a feeding tube. So they put one in her nose. Next, they surgically placed a permanent feeding tube into Olivia's stomach. As Olivia's health concerns took center stage, Sammy's seemed to have faded away. When they moved to Colorado, it was so the specialist at Denver Children's Hospital could treat Sammy with oral chemotherapy. Kelly added they would also be coming up with a treatment plan for Sammy's alleged compromised immune system. Sammy's immune issues were alleged as a result of the non-existent chemo she was receiving. Sammy's cure from cancer was never an official blog post. However, later, Sammy would tell police that having cancer was something she always knew she had because her mother told her. Now, Kelly was solely focused on Olivia. Two and a half years after living in Colorado, things had changed drastically for the little girl. Her list of illnesses had grown, and so had her notoriety. She appeared in dozens of promotional campaigns and fundraisers for Denver's Children's Hospital. The bright, bubbly, outgoing little girl with way more energy than she should have had was beloved by all. She made a cake with Miss Colorado for a children's hospital fundraiser and appeared in commercials for the hospital. By the age of four and a half, Olivia had endured many surgeries and her diagnosis at the time included autism, an inoperable vascular malformation, a tumor on the parotid gland, external hydrocephalus, developmental delays, an L-carnitine deficiency, seizure disorder, celiac disease, and severe eczema. Olivia was also on massive amounts of opiates for pain, which can cause constipation. This led to her having a colostomy bag. Match three games can be a lot of fun, but to me, it seems like a lot of match three games have the same boring format. I mean, the little things change, like the characters, but overall, it's the same. Well, let me introduce you to a match three game with a fun storytelling adventure added into it that you will find so fun to play. As you play Switchcraft, you'll unlock pieces of a beautiful, magical, and gripping graphic novel. Switchcraft is a mobile game with a unique blend of TV-worthy writing with a choose-your-own-adventure-style narrative and thousands of magical match-three levels. What I love most about Switchcraft is the beautiful magical aesthetics of the game. I now have my friends and family playing the game too. It gives us something to do together and talk about. And anytime I need a little me time or I'm waiting at the doctor's office, Switchcraft is my first choice. It's a nice relaxing game with a well-written story. Also, what I found really awesome was how diverse the characters are in the game. The game includes a variety of cultural backgrounds as well as disabled and LGBTQ plus characters. It all starts with the disappearance of your best friend. Now it's up to you to unravel the mystery of her disappearance using your magical match three skills. Along the way, you'll find unique characters, a gripping story, and even a little romance. The best part is that your choices in the game determine the outcome of the story, so you're in the driver's seat. In Switchcraft, you'll take on the role of a witch at Pendle Hill, the world's top academy of Switchcraft. Play your way through hundreds of enchanting match three levels, revealing a dark and winding mystery story. Download Switchcraft for free and unlock the magical mystery.
By 2015, some of the medical staff began having doubts about Olivia's condition. They made comments in her chart that the child's symptoms didn't match the mother's reporting. They mentioned that she also didn't seem autistic or appear anywhere on the spectrum. Olivia didn't have sensory issues. She communicated clearly, made eye contact, and loved to socialize. Nonetheless, Kelly kept insisting that Olivia was autistic, wasn't gaining weight, and pushed for a tube to be placed directly in Olivia's veins for her nutritional needs. She insisted Olivia's intestines couldn't handle or absorb nutrients, which means that Kelly was withholding the food Olivia needed to survive in order to convince the doctors to bypass Olivia's intestines. She was always pushing for more and more invasive procedures that gave Olivia a worse quality of life. Yet, Olivia's love of life could not be contained. Doctors placed a total parenteral nutrition line, known as a TPN, into Olivia's veins. This was placed while the hospital tried to use feeding therapies to improve Olivia's ability to eat and digest normal foods. Olivia would make small amounts of progress and then be brought back again with complaints of vomiting and intolerable pain, requiring more and more opioids, which continued to constipate Olivia. At one point, the doctor had to surgically remove impacted stool from Olivia's colon. You have to wonder what Kelly had to have done to cause this condition in her child. A child she was supposed to love unconditionally and protect from monsters such as herself. But her constant selfish desire for attention and recognition wouldn't allow herself to stop. It was July 2015 when Kelly first posted online that Olivia was terminal. Over the course of Olivia's life, she went to the Denver Children's Hospital over 1,000 times and endured 25 surgeries. Her medical records were over 13,000 pages long. Nowhere in her charts had anyone ever described Olivia's conditions as terminal. Kelly started a GoFundMe for her terminal child and raised almost $23,000. She also had Olivia prepare a bucket list of things she wanted to do before she died. Some of the things included going on a ride along with a police officer, becoming a firefighter, and a bat princess party given by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Princess Olivia, we need you to respond to a dumpster fire. She is a ball of fire. <laughs> Today, her wish came true to become a firefighter. She's in um, intestinal failure, and we don't know how much longer she has. And so we made a bucket list, and one of her things was to become a firefighter. Let's see how far we can get it to go. When we found out that she wanted to do this, we were very thrilled to be able to help out. I mean, I don't even have words to describe how I feel. It's just a bunch of ball of emotion. We moved here from Texas a few years ago to um, seek out treatment. Her intestines just shut down one at a time. And we knew that Olivia lived in Littleton's fire district. Since Littleton and South Metro train together and respond to emergencies together, it only made sense that we could come together on this and both show her a great time. So here's my bucket list. She wanted to do this. I didn't know that it would come true. Be a fireman. We got to do that, so they have to check it out. Thanks for being a great boss. Awesome. We, I was resting for a while so I could feel good. The outpouring of support that our little community has given, you just can never repay that. 
Good job. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. We just take it one day at a time and we're thankful for what we have. That was Kelly Turner talking to the press about her terminally ill daughter, sounding strong and stoic as she made plans for her daughter's death. In that video, Kelly had a huge smile on her face, bordering on a smirk, as she relished the attention she received as the poor tragic mother of a dying child. To Kelly, Olivia's death would be the ultimate validation for those who were doubting her. She loved press and interviews, and loved talking about her daughter's intestinal failures. On March 1st, 2017, Olivia had her last surgery. The doctor implanted a tube into her bladder, which drained through her abdomen. Just a few weeks later, Kelly requested a DNR order to be placed in Olivia's file. DNR stands for Do Not Resuscitate. Meaning, even if Olivia were to OD on her prescribed opioids, the doctors were prevented from delivering Narcan, a medicine that would counteract the effects. Kelly's doctors at first refused and believed it was unnecessary and extremely premature. Olivia was young and, as far as the doctors were concerned, had many years left to live. They had no idea that Kelly was fulfilling bucket list items and telling people that Olivia was terminal. A few days after Kelly's request for a DNR, some of the healthcare providers began speaking about their suspicions. They began monitoring Olivia's ostomy bag and the amount of stool they recorded in her chart didn't match up with the amounts Kelly was reporting. It meant that Olivia's intestines were healing and functional, something that Kelly always denied. The doctors assigned a monitor to the room, and during the time the monitor was present, Olivia began to improve rapidly. The doctors weren't sure if Olivia was improving on her own, or if this was because the monitor prevented any tampering by Kelly. The very next day, as Olivia was showing increased signs of improvement, Kelly requested that Olivia be placed in hospice care and allowed to die. The request was immediately denied, Additionally, some of the doctors were now highly suspicious of Kelly, and they refused to renew the previous place DNR order. The hospital called an ethics meeting where Olivia's case and Kelly's behavior specifically were discussed. Despite the hospital, the doctors, and each nurse being a mandatory reporter of child abuse, no such calls were ever made to the Department of Human Services for suspicion of medical child abuse. Later, another doctor would sympathize with Kelly having to care for a chronically ill child and signed a new DNR order. The end result of the ethics meeting was that Kelly got her way. On August 1st, 2017, Olivia was transferred to hospice care. She was transported by ambulance, singing the song Hakuna Matata from the Disney movie, The Lion King. She had no idea her mother had just sentenced her to death. With a stroke of a doctor's pen, Olivia Gant was ordered to die. The 
the doctors said it was going to be the best thing for her. And we had no reason not to believe them. I mean, she's at one of the best freaking hospitals in the country. Here's another of the videos he saved. It's Olivia appearing rather well on the bus to hospice. And the worries for the rest of your days. She didn't know she was going to die. She was happy to get out of that hospital and get all those tubes out of her and, uh, you know, feel like a normal child. Once at the hospice, she spent 19 days without food after her feeding tube was removed. She opened her eyes and looked at me and recognized me and said, Papa, I'm hungry. She was hungry. Two days later, she died. It was not until two years later Olivia's case was reported to authorities. That happened when Kelly Turner brought another daughter in, claiming she had been treated for cancer in Texas. The doctor checked there and found out it was all a lie. Sad story, Jim and Karen. Yeah, terrible, terrible story. Rick, thank you. On August 20th, 2017, Olivia looked up at her grandfather, whom she affectionately referred to as Papa, and told him she was hungry. Kelly walked in and said, she's not hungry, she just thinks she is. She told him he could dip a sponge in melted popsicle juice and apply it to her lips. Later that day, Olivia Gant died at the age of seven years old. For the next year, Kelly enjoyed the attention that came along with losing a child. We don't know if she got bored or if this was always her plan, but a little over a year later, Kelly brought her 10-year-old daughter, Sammy, to the doctor with complaints of bone pain. She explained to the doctor that she had a daughter who died from a genetic disorder and Sammy might be equally as doomed. She explained that Sammy had cancer as a child and tumors in her neck and pelvis. With Sammy's persistent complaints of bone pain, she feared her older daughter might also have a genetic predisposition to a terminal illness. The doctor who was treating Sammy for the phantom pains retired. The new doctor who took his place wasn't as easily fooled by Kelly Turner. That doctor called the Children's Hospital in Texas and confirmed that Sammy never had nor was ever treated for cancer. However, they did have extensive records on her sister, Olivia, who was treated for eczema and food allergies. As a result of these findings, the Department of Human Services requested a formal police investigation in the death of Olivia Gant. Detectives went to Sammy's school and talked to her about her cancer diagnosis and her bone pain. Sammy was informed by her mother she had cancer as a young child. However, she didn't remember being treated with chemo and radiation, and her bones didn't hurt. Next, they easily found all of Kelly Turner's social media posts on Facebook and two blogs detailing Olivia's medical journey to the grave. Next, law enforcement went straight to the source. They invited Kelly to come in and talk to them regarding her daughter's suspicious death. From 2012 to 2018, Kelly received benefits and reimbursements for Olivia's care in an amount exceeding half a million dollars. She explained to the detective that her husband, yes, I said husband, 
Remember when we were going to circle back to him? Well, here we are. Kelly was still married to Jeff Gant, who stayed behind in Texas so he could continue supporting his children. She told them Jeff's insurance didn't cover the girls because they were pre-existing conditions. The only problem with that is Kelly began using her maiden name of Turner on Medicare applications and listed Jeff as an absent parent. Yet, on other documents supplying for food assistance and disability payments, Kelly listed Jeff as unemployed and also in need of benefits. Kelly explained that Olivia's medical tubes and lines to her stomach for her ostomy bags would repeatedly become infected. She told investigators that, as a result, they were always in the hospital and Olivia was seven years old and still wearing diapers, unable to go to the bathroom like a normal child. She told the detectives that Olivia had no longer had any meaningful quality of life, and the doctors agreed that they should pull her feeding tubes and send her to hospice care to die. Then Kelly did something surprising. She brought up Munchausen by proxy. She told them she knows it means when a caretaker makes their child sick on purpose or does things related to their child's illness for attention. She continued to say that the attention is on their child when, really, the parent or caretaker is wanting the attention for themselves. Then she stated, That has never been my case, like at all, whatsoever. You can talk to anyone that stood by my side through Olivia and all of this. She said that she had nothing to hide and would be happy to sign medical release forms. When they told her they had already had those records, Kelly finally confessed to lying about Sammy having cancer, but she swore everything else was true. Next, they removed Sammy from her care and conducted a separation test. While Sammy was away from her mother, there were no more complaints of pain and no more mysterious gastrointestinal illnesses. On November 28, 2018, the coroner exhumed Olivia Gant's body and conducted a forensic examination. And they couldn't find any of the conditions that Olivia had been treated for, including a brain tumor, a malformation of the brain membrane, any intestinal decay, or anything else that could explain all of Olivia's symptoms. It was clear from the findings that Olivia was placed in hospice and starved to death for 19 days to satisfy some sick need in her mother for attention and the badge of losing a child. What a tragedy. Olivia Gant never had to die. The official finding on the report stated, quote, based on the lack of anatomic findings to account for her chronic intestinal failure, nonspecific toxology results, and the inability to exclude caregiver fabricated illness, the manner of death is best certified as undetermined. When investigators interviewed the doctors, they were told a myriad of things that would have you screaming. Kelly told Dr. Sodden, the doctor in charge of Olivia's TPN, that it was failing. He told Kelly that he thought reducing her dependency on it was the next step and reintroducing food. Kelly snapped at him and said, we already tried that. Dr. Sodden also discovered that Kelly was giving Olivia large doses of narcotics without the consent of the pain management team. All of the complaints of pain and infection were reported by Kelly and never observed in a clinical setting. So how did this doctor not do anything about what he was witnessing? 
Kelly also refused to stop giving Olivia seizure medication despite being told to stop giving it to her on three different occasions. Next, they interviewed Dr. Baylor, who described Kelly as a high-maintenance mother and said that Kelly was not afraid to try experimental surgeries. He also explained that intestinal failure happens for two reasons, malnutrition, which doesn't happen in the United States, and liver damage, which wouldn't have happened in Olivia's case because they were bypassing sending damaging enzymes to Olivia's liver. That left intentional starvation and medical tampering by a caregiver. Another doctor said that Olivia Gant was never terminal, and he was shocked when he heard that she died. They sure do have all the answers after the fact, but not so much when Olivia needed it most when she was alive. When detectives interviewed Olivia's father, Jeff Gant, they were surprised to learn he was very involved in his children's lives as much as he could be while still working full-time in Texas and providing for their care with $900 a week. Investigators learned that Kelly told him to cancel health insurance on the girls since the hospital offered it cheaper through their self-insurance cases for eligible children. On October 17, 2019, Kelly Turner was arrested for the first-degree murder of her daughter, Olivia Gant. She was ultimately charged with 13 separate counts, including murder, child abuse, fraud, bribery, and forgery. Olivia's father and grandparents sued the Denver Children's Hospital for $25 million. They wanted answers they wanted accountability, and ultimately, they wanted to make sure this never happened again to anyone else's vulnerable child. The family ultimately settled their lawsuit for an undisclosed sum. Kelly initially pleaded not guilty to the charges against her. On the eve of the trial, she took a plea deal which dropped the charges for first-degree murder, attempts to influence a public servant, and forgery. As a result of the plea, she was sentenced to only 16 years in prison. Olivia's grandfather played a video during the sentencing hearing of Olivia laughing, smiling, baking a cake, dancing in a princess costume, singing songs, and playing doctor with her dolls. He stated in part, This truth about Olivia has caused such deep pain that it continues to ravage me every day. Kelly's behavior is certainly consistent with Munchausen by proxy, which usually involves parents or caregivers who seek attention from the illness of their children or dependents, causing them to go through numerous medical procedures and, in rare instances like Olivia, results in death. A few weeks after Kelly was sentenced to prison, she released a statement saying she was and is innocent and only took a plea to prevent her family from further harm. She looks forward to one day being reunited with them. Let's hope that when this day comes, they're not wanting anything to do with her. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's case. We will see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.